going on everybody welcome to our podcast mass media hysteria uh today is july the 4th uh so happy 4th of july to anyone in the states or abroad who is celebrating of course this won't be going up onto the channel until the 5th but we wish it to you from the past my name is court i will be your host for the duration with me as always is chris how's it going everybody and uh today we've got a pretty pretty stacked show for you we have uh a bunch of topics we're going to cover. Uh, in order, we are going to be doing full spoilers reviews of the following. Loki episode four, the Nexus event, followed by Fear Street part one, 1994, which is currently streaming on Netflix. Then the new Amazon Chris Pratt sci-fi movie, The Tomorrow War. And then finally, there's some news out of New Zealand, Amazon's new Lord of the Rings <clears throat> series, whatever it's going to end up being called, we don't know yet. Uh, a report came out of the uh, New Zealand Herald, I believe, that the safety practices on set were not very good. So we're gonna talk a little bit about that. As per usual, we wanna thank you guys for watching. We hope you'll consider dropping a thumbs up on the video or giving it a share because it just helps the video reach more people, helps the channel grow. We appreciate that very much. And of course, if you haven't subscribed to this channel, I think you should, I'd love you forever. Um, so, and we should also mention that if you don't have time to watch a long ass video on YouTube, you can find our podcast on places like Stitcher and Google Podcasts with hopefully more to come. So definitely check that out if that works better for you, if you want to listen to the show on your commute to work or what have you. So um, we're just going to launch into our first topic here, unless I'm forgetting anything, Chris, am I forgetting anything? No, no, no. Covered okay. it. You right got on. it. All right. Nailed it. Uh, so our, our first our first topic today, of course, is Loki episode four, the Nexus event. This was the uh, we have only got two more episodes of the show, which is, yeah, man. Which is crazy. Mm -hmm. uh, before I ask you for your overall thoughts on the episode, and I should say we're not going to go beat for beat through the entire episode because we've got a lot to cover today. Yeah. But we're going to talk about sort of the main beats that really stuck with us and uh, mm -hmm. and all of that. But again, this will be full spoilers. If you want a spoiler free review, it's on my channel. I'll link it up there as per usual uh i'm gonna say straight up uh this is my favorite episode of the show so far uh, i really really liked this episode and as you know chris or anyone who watched last week's episode uh, of this podcast last week's episode of loki was my favorite up until that point i was very much in the minority there but here we are uh i loved this episode i thought it gave us a lot of story it gave us a lot of character uh, we got to spend a little bit more time on Lamentis, which is just absolutely stunningly beautiful. And uh, there were some shocking moments in here and some really, really bad sound mixing. But we'll get to that. Chris, what were your overall thoughts on this episode? Yeah, I, I love this episode. I, I, I know that a lot of people were kind of not as into the last episode, but I feel like it was essential to, to this one. It's like... Everyone kept saying that the episode three Lamentis was filler, but it's not because it just kept diving into the characters of Sylvie and Loki and we got to understand them more as individuals. And that's necessary for episodes like this, which is very plot heavy. The plot in the in the sequences that would have that happened in this episode wouldn't have landed as much if we didn't spend time with both Loki and Sylvie. Like if it just jumped from episode two to episode four, it'd be like, Okay, why do I care about these people? But yeah, so I also also okay. they're in love now. <clears throat> yeah, I was gonna I was gonna mention that. I don't know if you want to talk about that up top, but I text. Did I message you about that, or did I just like dream this morning? No, you did. What uh, this? Okay, I was just being lazy today. I didn't get back to you. No, no, no. It was 
it was one of those things where I woke up and I was like, I want to talk about this. And I, I texted it to you, but I wasn't sure if I was like, did I dream that? Or did I actually text you? Um, do you want to get into it now or now? Yeah, sure. Anyway, so overall, really, really like this episode. I'm loving the show. Can't wait for the, the final two. Um, but yeah, I essentially messaged you because it was kind of alluded to in episode three, but they really kind of spelt it out now in episode four is that Loki, uh, our main Loki variant, is crushing pretty hard or in love, perhaps, with Sylvie, who is essentially another variant, another Loki variant from another dimension. Um, and when watching it, um, before kind of reading people's reactions, it just, I thought it was just kind of like goofy sci-fi silliness, like the kind of high concept weirdness that you would get from a show with a premise like this, where it's like, oh, there's a million different dimensions. Let's have the main character fall in love with another version of himself from another dimension. Because when, when else are you going to have the opportunity to do that? Um, right. So I liked it. I mean, I wasn't necessarily like, I'm super invested and in, they, they need to be a romantic couple. I wasn't really necessarily rooting for it in that way. But I thought it was like, that's funny and it's kind of unique and I haven't seen it. But a lot of people online, I don't know about m most people, but a lot of people are like actively against it and, and like reacting as though it's like, this is disgusting. It's so sick. It's like, it's like incest almost. I'm like, it's not incest. Like at most it's masturbation. I don't right. know why people are, I don't know. So what are your thoughts on this peculiar uh, love story? Yeah, I mean, I... I... I'm like you. I'm not, I'm not offended by it. I mean, I think it's weird. I think uh -huh. if I met, you know, a variant of myself from another dimension and fell in love with it, that that'd be weird. I'd be questioning my uh, life decisions, but I'm also not a God of mischief, or at least mm -hmm. not that I'm aware of. <laughs> um, and, you know, it's, it's weird. It's funny. And I mean, I think, I think Owen Wilson's character Mobius uh, put it perfectly. He's, he's just said something like, you know, falling in love with a variant of yourself. Like that's just, I think the word, mm -hmm. the phrase was like seismic narcissism, which I love. Yeah. And mm -hmm. like Loki's incredibly narcissistic. So I, I don't know. I think it's in keeping with the character personally. Yeah. I mean, look, it, that makes sense. It's like, who does he love? Like himself. It's like, this is, he's always only loved himself throughout the entire series. And this closest that he's come to caring to, for someone else is also kind of sort of him. You know what I mean? So it's like a baby steps, but he is kind of branching out and caring about other people. I mean, um, to, yeah. to be fair, I mean, he has, he has cared about Thor and, and Odin, but that was like a That's different- true. Oh, and his, and his mom. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But that, that wasn't this specific Loki. Well, maybe his mom, no. but, but- Yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know why people are thinking it's like the grossest thing. I mean, they're literally from like different dimensions. They're not like they're related. It's- do you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Yeah. It's like, it's, I'm like I said, I'm not like, oh, I'm, I'm sh like, I hope, I hope beyond hope that they end up together. Like if they don't, that's fine. Sure. But it's just like, I, I don't know. I don't see why it's like the grossest thing ever. If I, if I met a, like another dimensional me and it wasn't just me in a wig, you know what I mean? Like if it just looked like me, but with long hair wouldn't do it for me. But if right. like, if it looked they like, I don't know, you know, if they were like Scarlett Johansson, I'd be like, okay, let's, let's, Let's see where this goes. Let's um, explore. Let's explore the possibility. Why not? I'm not going to be like, ew, gross. It's me. Whatever. <clears throat> I feel plus, like. I've... Plus, you might just really know what you like anyway. So. Exactly. Yeah. So uh. it's a per it's simpatico. Mm -hmm. um, besides that, 
yeah, really great episode. A lot, a lot happening. Um, I, I really liked, I'm, I'm bad with the characters, so I'm going to pull it up, but I really like the kind of exploration into kind of the, some of these side characters. Um, like Gugu and Bop Ra's character of... Ravonna Renslayer or something like that? Yeah, she always seemed a bit, you know, suspicious to me from the first episode, but this one was the first one where you really saw how duplic duplicitous she was and how kind of conniving she was. Like, she seems to be one of the main villains, if not the main villain. I don't know about the main, like, there's probably going to be someone else behind the curtains. Um, but yeah, she's she's stone cold biatch in this. And I mean that in a really good way. Like, she played the mm -hmm. role very well, and the character is very just no nonsense. Like, she seemed to have somewhat of a, a kinship with Owen Wilson's character, Mobius. But then, as soon as she discovers that he did something behind her back by taking her little, I don't know, her little calculator whatever her, her little iphone her, her palm pilot exactly uh once he took that she just obliterated him uh purged him like without even thinking about it so she's stone cold um well and I, I gotta say i like the way they sort of uh worked into that because there's that scene she has with mobius where they're sort of doing the debrief and she's congratulating him on solving the case and blah blah, blah. Uh -huh. and he keeps kind of like pressing her for information and you can tell by the way she's playing it. She knows she's kind of backed up against a wall because she keeps going like, Mobius, why are you doing that? Why, why are you asking all these questions? You can tell like, mm -hmm. that was like, you know, we've talked before. We were both a little bit um, curious to see if maybe she would be on the wrong side of things. But I like the way they, they sort of leaned into it slowly, mm -hmm. just sort of placing those breadcrumbs before she went like, you know, full on murderer. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And that was a great scene, by the way, with her and Mobius, because um, I really liked how you would know it, it, it felt very true to life in that if you've ever kind of like, if you've ever kind of cornered like a, a blatant liar, like one of their tactics is just to lash out like, like you're crazy for even suggesting it. So Mobius was right on the money with questioning like what what happened to I forget what the character's name is, but she was the character that was um, it was Hunter C twenty. Essentially, that was the woman that was taken under in um, Sylvie's spell initially, um, and he was in questioning her about it. And and uh, Ravona was essentially just like you're fucking crazy. How dare you? Like, you, you think that's what happened? You're crazy. And I really liked that. I really liked that deflection of it. It felt natural. Was, in addition, I thought Owen Wilson crushed it in this episode, but that yeah. scene in particular, it's so subtle. Like there's, there's such a kind of like a, a pain in his voice, but it's very soft because I think he's already kind of going through, he's, this is after Loki told him that the TVA was lying to him. And he's kind of wrestling with that notion. And you're, you're seeing in the scene that he's kind of believing it for the first time. And it's kind of breaking his heart. And he, I think he's seen through the bullshit of Ravona, who he seems to care for. And that pain really came through for me. Yeah, I was going to say, I think, it's, I think it's both the fact that he's now starting to realize that his whole life is a lie and he's been lied to. Yeah. But also I think it's the betrayal because we did see previous to this episode He's got a genuine affection, if not even like a romantic love for Ravona. So mm. that like, I think that betrayal, even though he's downplaying it because he's trying to get information. Um, yeah, it was, it was a very subtle performance on his part in that scene. I liked it a lot. I literally thought, wow, I didn't. Yeah. But uh, I had to make that stupid joke. Oh, wow. Yeah, I made, I made that joke when he got pruned. 
I'm not proud of it. It really was not the appropriate moment for it. But just on the couch with my wife, he got pruned. I was like, oh, wow. Went over well. Um, but yeah, no, it's other good things about this. I really like the uh, the the prison time loop torture that, that uh, Mobius put uh, Loki through. Mm-hmm. Essentially, it's just this one moment of Lady Sif uh, with Jamie Alexander making her triumphant return after not appearing since, I think, 2013's Thor The Dark World. Um, she comes back and, and you know, she's mad at him because he cut her hair because he's a little tricky guy. And she knees him in the balls, but also just kind of like emasculates him and tells him he's like alone and shit. And it's just that on a loop for like forever, seemingly. And I thought that was great. Um, you know, just seeing Loki being beaten down both physically and then emotionally, like it breaks him. And I thought Tom Hiddleston did a, a fantastic job in that scene as well. I agree. The one thing that kind of I was left sort of thinking about was like, so is this a situation where like, cause I feel like, you know, cause it, it's sort of almost essentially almost like a purgatory kind of situation. Mm. And he's reliving this, this terrible moment, but like, is he not able to change things? Cause it seems like it is like he is because he gets down and he's groveling and saying, you know, I was wrong and I thought it'd be funny, but it wasn't. <clears throat> but if he can change, <clears throat> excuse me, if he can change things, dude, block your testicles man like why not there's a there's a misconnect there that i don't quite understand like why wouldn't you deke the punch i didn't i well they kind of showed that they i so i didn't get that that um impression like i i think that they did show that he changed one of the variations it's almost like it like i said it's like a kind of like a time loop of like a very small period of time and for at least one of the times he talked Lady Sif down and she True. didn't physically attack him. But then as soon as she walks away, it starts the loop all over again. So right. it's it's still like, a, it's like the the Greek mythology of, of Prometheus, whose punishment by the gods was to be chained and being eaten by a giant eagle forever. Um, it's that kind of thing where it's like, as soon as, you know, she either insults him or hits him and walks away, it starts all over again. So even if he talks one Lady Sif down, and a couple minutes later, he's going to have to do the same thing. And that's just like, oh, I hate that. That's all. Yeah, I get that. But but still, I mean, if you know exactly what she's going to do, wouldn't you put your knee, wouldn't you pivot your knee a little bit so you yeah, don't I think one in the balls? I, I think it happening twice is fine. The third time it was kind of like, you should have seen that coming. So right? yeah, I think it, I, think I, it, I yeah. saw it coming the second time. I was like, oh, this yeah. is going to be a loop. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he's yeah. smarter than I am. Yeah, I thought, yeah, it didn't mind me. It didn't bother me. Like I said, it happened a couple times. The third time was very telegraphed. Um, But, you know, it didn't bug me that much. Good. Um, I do just sort of jumping back to the beginning of the episode. Of course, there's that cold open where we see young Sylvie on Asgard uh, getting taken away by the TVA. And then, of course, we see, you know, we've been talking about how Loki and Sylvie sort of have this sort of budding relationship. And uh-huh. We see them on Lamentus, literally as the planet is about to be completely destroyed, having this end of the world conversation. And again, we said last week how beautiful uh, Lamentus looked. I mm-hmm. thought it looked even better in this one because you get those huge shots of like the pieces of the moon coming down. Mm-hmm. I thought that was absolutely stunning. Yeah, same here. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of g- fantastic visuals in this. Um, 
and it's a great way to open this just kind of this wide shot of of two of them kind of sitting next to each other on this deep deep purple planet and then this green planet is exploding it's very trippy kind of uh visuals and i, I yeah. really liked it and it's also a really great scene showing kind of the humanity of, of these two characters kind of being faced with their own mortality yeah, yeah. it was great it was a great way to start um yeah another um visually interesting kind of set piece that was different from the rest of the tba that we've seen before which still looks great but they we finally go into essentially the star wars throne room of the three lizard people mm -hmm. um and it has kind of like this kind of like metallic blue color to it and it looks icy and cold like there's mist and often to the the sides it looks like these staircases like an mc escher painting of these Correct. staircases going nowhere like it's an infinite loop so i thought that was also another like really visually interesting set piece and, and and I think uh, we should talk about the timekeepers, but we'll we'll come back to that in a couple okay. minutes. Mm. Um, so eventually, um, Loki tells Mobius, "Listen, like he, he's planted the seed in his head earlier that maybe something isn't, you know, what it seems that the the you've been being lied to." Mobius sends him into the the time loop, and then Mobius finds uh, Ravona's Palm Pilot, checks mm. it out, and sees when she's doing the sort of exit interview for Hunter C20, I think you said was her name, mm. because Ravona's been saying, no, she was crazy by the end. She could barely speak. And we see, no, she's fully lucid. And we see Ravona come into the, the shot. So that kind of proves to Mobius that what Loki is saying is true. So then they have that conversation. Mm -hmm. He pulls him out of the time loop. And again, I thought that was a really wonderful scene where he's saying, okay, I can help you. You need to trust me. I need to trust you. Um, and Loki, he's like, oh, I have to, I have to trust a couple of Lokis. And Loki says, uh, how about trusting a friend? And I was like, I feel like the Loki, uh, Sylvie romance is maybe a little bit rushed. And I think maybe these two guys being full on friends now is maybe a little bit rushed, yeah. but I still really liked the moment. And it really totally reminded me of return of the King. Like, yeah, of course. How, uh, die next to an elf how about a friend i i i could do that gets me yeah didn't yeah, have the no, same, i just got chills yeah. i just gave myself chills didn't have the same impact obviously because like that had three movies to build yeah. up kind of this contentious relationship and so it 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 did it was like i love that moment i think there could have been a little bit more to kind of show them being friends right before um because it really did seem like by episode two which was the last time that these guys saw each other they were getting there, but they weren't quite there yet. There was still some mistrust. And I think that given more time together, it would have worked, but it still worked. I like, you know, I like the sentiment of it and I like them as a team. So yeah, it definitely worked for me. So then of course they go uh, to confront everybody. And uh, as you, as you mentioned earlier, uh, Ravona prunes. Now, again, we don't know that that means kills, but she prunes uh mobius from at least this realm of existence whatever yes uh when we when we talk about the uh the post credit scene we'll i guess we'll circle back to this but uh seemingly in the moment uh she killed him i'm fairly certain uh she didn't because there's still two episodes yeah. to go and it's owen wilson and and it's also yeah. marvel they like to retcon uh death yeah so. and, and like i said we'll we'll touch on it but just briefly saying that the the end credit sequence while not explicitly saying what exactly happened definitely alludes to 
what's going on with the pruning. Yeah, right. but yeah, so I think so I think that it's it's like it's safe to assume that he's not dead. So even at the moment, even before seeing the end credit scene, I was like, I don't know. I I I don't think this is the last time we're going to see Owen Wilson. Now before we get back to the timekeepers timekeepers, I should also say that uh Hunter B15 uh, heard the conversation between Loki and Mobius about how when Loki tells him, no, you were not created by the timekeepers, you're all variants, you were kidnapped. Uh -huh. Because she had, uh, Hunter B-15 had Sylvie in her head briefly mm -hmm. and she's remembering, there was, a, there was a memory in there that I don't remember ever experiencing. So mm -hmm. she goes, breaks Sylvie out, says, take me back to the department store in the hurricane, enchant me again. And then she realizes, yes, she did indeed have a life prior to this uh she says like i i, I it seems like i was happy mm -hmm. um that comes into a play momentarily so ravona takes uh sylvia and loki in to meet the timekeepers and this is this is where i take monstrous issue with this episode because it was such a cool scene that i had to watch a second time with the subtitles on yeah. the one timekeeper in the middle I could understand pretty well. The other two, and I'll say this, I thought the effect on the voices was really cool. It sounded neat, but I couldn't understand a word they were saying. No. It was brutal. Like it was, it was, um, I went to see, um, Tenet. Going back a few more years. I went to see oh. the dark. I went to see the dark Knight rises prologue in front of mission impossible and mm -hmm. IMAX. Mm -hmm. And that was with the original Bane dialogue, which to yeah. this day, I think his inflections in that original version are better. Mm -hmm. But like, I was with my girlfriend at the time and we came out of that like, what the fuck was he talking about? Like it was, yeah. it was so bad to the point where Warner Brothers actually said, sorry, Nolan, we, we bow to the altar of Nolan, but you got, you gotta, you gotta do you something. You gotta change here. that. Yeah. I am absolutely flabbergasted that Marvel and Disney plus released that scene as it was. I, I don't understand how nobody said, hang on a second. What? Yeah. Like I, I found that like, honestly, I found that kind of shocking. Like, what did you think? You know, I, I agree. It's I, I, my feelings on it differ slightly uh, because I, you're absolutely right that I couldn't understand a fucking word. That the other two were saying the middle one was still pretty rough but i can kind of make it out uh but then the other two it was absolute nonsense like what the the last one to speak which was like on the right was literally just like i'm like is this an alien language like where the fuck yeah. is subset? what's happening and it, it had like it had like an effect on the voice but also like a reverb and an echo so it like every yeah. syllable every every syllable would like double or treble like it was it was yeah and um, yeah, just adding subtitles to it would have been fine. Um, but at the same time, I think the reason why it didn't upset me as much is that like less than a minute later, they're all dead and, and proven to be robots. So I'm like, oh, he probably, what he was saying probably didn't really matter anyway. But you're right. right. As far as like, I, yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't tell what was going on in that scene. And I, and since we've seen in small instances that Disney has gone and slightly changed certain things from uh, their series, like on the Mandalorian and, and WandaVision. I can imagine that maybe in a couple months time or even less, if you rewatch the scene, they'll kind of clean up that audio a bit. Well, let, let me ask you this, like, 
do you think it was a creative decision where they thought maybe it'll just be cool this way to give it an otherworldly thing? Do you think it's just because everyone involved with the show knew the screenplay so they could understand it with their own ears so yeah. they didn't perceive it to be as big of a problem? What do you think it was? Oh yeah, tunnel, tunnel vision is a, is a absolute major thing when it comes to filmmaking where you watch something so many times in the edit. I mean, like you read the script, so you know that intimately, you shot the scene. And by the time you're in the editing and like, you know, each each time, like little tweaks and stuff, there the director is probably watching the scene hundreds of times. Um, and at so by the end of it, they're like, well, I can understand it. But they really, that's why it's really important to have kind of test screenings and and other people with fresh eyes and ears come in who aren't so intimate with the material to be like, this doesn't make sense. Right. And I think that, um, as like I said, as we've seen with a couple other shows, not just Marvel, I mean, yeah, Marvel shows, but other kind of big budget shows, unlike movies, oftentimes these are not finished well in advance uh, to being released. Um, they're finished in advance, but not well in advance. So maybe it was like, a, like I was mentioning a bit of tunnel vision, but also just like they didn't quite have the weeks or months like needed of, of pe other people seeing it and, and critiquing it for them to change it which is why i think if they if they i think that maybe in a few weeks time or a few months time they might upgrade the audio but just for this initial release i think it just kind of fell through the same way um the guy wearing jeans fell through in, in the mandalorian right. you know what i mean like you just you don't really focus on that and then once you see it it's like this is fucking obvious that being said to your point the voice that's much more obvious than just like a stage hand creeping in the shadows. Yeah. You know? But I don't know. What do you think is, do you think that sounds right? Or what, what do you think happened with that? That, that makes sense to me. And it, you could be right. Like maybe it just came down to the wire. And although I, I really feel like maybe you just pull back on the reverb a little bit and everything will be fine. But yeah, it was uh, for, for a show that also has really good sound design and really good mixing. I just, I don't know. I don't know what happened there, but it was like, yeah, I, I could, and I had, I had friends text me like, could you understand this? And I was like, no, no, yeah, not at all. Not at all. Yeah. Um, but okay. So of course in that scene, um, it's looking like Ravona is going to prune them both. Hunter B15 comes in, sort of saves the day, gives them both the pruning sticks, whatever, gets a good hand to hand combat, whatever. Um, and then we find out, and you did call it a couple of weeks ago or last week. Uh, we find out that, yeah, these, these, these timekeepers are essentially a bunch of Chuck E. Cheese animatronics. Uh, yeah. Um, so obviously there's something else behind the scenes there. Again, I don't know if it's Ravona's running the show or if it's, you know, Mephisto, of course, that joke is just going to keep going. It's, it's, it's going to continue to not be funny, but we're going to keep making it. For, for um, those who are just listening, I was making a, a fisting motion with my hand, like ah, Mephisto. See, it's it this is prime comedy content <laughs> that you guys are missing. Indeed. Um, so, yeah, so we find out that they're not real. And then, of course, uh, uh, Ravona prunes Loki. And mm -hmm. the episode ends with basically... Uh, Sylvie gets the better of Ravona. Uh, it's looking like she's going to prune her. Ravona literally says, just, just do it. And Sylvie sort of grabs and says like, no, you're going to tell me everything. And then we cut to black, which I thought was a great ending. Um, yeah. And then of course we get a post-credit sequence 
where Loki wakes up in what looked to be like a desert or something, um, kind of much like he did in the beginning of the show. And he's just sort of laying there. He's disorientated. He doesn't know where he is. And basically, I think he says, like, am I dead? And we hear a voice say, no, but if you don't come with us very soon, you will be. Mm-hmm. And then we get a quick shot of four Lokis. I, I assume they're all Lokis. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've got like a big black dude with, with Mjolnir, mm-hmm. which I don't know why Loki has Mjolnir, but I'm sure it'll get explained. Yeah. Then you have a comics accurate Loki in the green and yellow costume played by the great Richard Grant. I knew I reckon, or Richard E. Grant, I should say. I knew I recognized mm-hmm. that voice. So I'm super glad he's in it. Uh, we have a kid Loki and then what looked to be an alligator Loki, which I've uh, coined allocator because uh, I'm an idiot. <laughs> I like that. So um, what, what did you think of this scene? <clears throat> I, <laughs> I loved it. I mean, it's such a great tease. That's like a lot of times, um, I mean, not so much in the Marvel shows, but in the Marvel movies, it's kind of hit or miss with the post credit scene. Like, does this actually tease anything? And does the tease actually get you excited? For the following episodes and this really did i mean first off it kind of uh without full out, fully saying it it kind of revealed what um happens to pruning it seems and i'm sure they'll go into more detail but to me it came across as though when someone gets pruned they're just like dumped into this wasteland with all the rest of their other variants that have also been pruned so i i don't know if it, this is like where all variants go or if it's like localized in the sense like this is where all loki variants go and then mobius will go to a a planet that has all mobius variants that's what i'm thinking but again they don't flat out say it um which is good you know makes you interested you want to follow up and like what exactly is going on here but yeah i love the reveal um apparently so they have uh imdb is is crediting richard e grant as classic loki uh he's looking like he's wearing a really dorky spandex costume but that looks exactly like the original like bright green and yellow costume that loki had in the comics which is great there's a kid loki um the guy that was holding like the the hammer which i originally thought was going to be a a thor variant but he's just listed as boastful loki in the credits i'm not sure why he's boastful loki but we'll get to it um kid loki is kid loki but my absolute favorite is alligator loki now it's weird to me how I've watched, you know, The Mandalorian, which has Baby Yoda, and everyone's like, oh my God, that's the cutest thing in the world. Uh, and then I watch a million, you know, we watch Disney movies and there's always a cute sidekick and shit, and um, they never do it for me. Like even Ryan the Last Dragon, that weird little creature that she had, I'm like, eh, it's fine. Baby Yoda, yeah, he's cool. He's fine. Something about that alligator Loki, I fell in love. I just, I don't know. He's like, he doesn't have big cartoony eyes, so maybe that's it, but he okay. doesn't. He has a dumb little Loki horn hat. I love him. I hope he's the star of the show. I want 10 of them. Um, So I'm a big fan of Alligator Loki. But yeah, great tease. Um, I've I've seen a lot of people making the joke that if and when we get to see Mobius's character in his variant wasteland, people keep saying you'll have like Hansel from Zoolander and just have a whole bunch of Owen Wilson's all going, wow, wow. That would be amazing. That would Um, be. They're not gonna do it, but that would that would they should they should do that as like a a little just a little piece they put out online, like once the show is done. Oh yeah. Because that would be incredible. Let me let me ask you this because uh because you I just wanted to get to see if you thought this as well, but um that that throne room scene with the with the timekeepers. 
didn't that like remind you almost exactly like the last jedi yep um because i mean obviously the last jedi throne room scene was very much inspired by return of the uh jedi i said return of the king so that but what i mean is that there's like these these like built up these are the bad guys or these are the the oh the timekeepers are so important just like snoke was so important and then he's high up on a throne and then there's you know um the main the one of the main the main guy lead who has dark black hair who's kind of not great all the time he's kind of bad but he has some good in him and then there's like a, a girl as well so it's like kylo ren and ray and then they use magic to throw a sword that would that cut one of them, the guys in half just like what happened with the lightsaber and snoke and then the two of them start fighting side by side mm-hmm. just like i was like oh this is fighting the guards yep yeah it's weirdly like exactly like the last jedi i thought yep. that was strange nope no i i totally caught that myself yeah the end um i should say and this is this is a complete sort of non sequitur but just uh you know to pump my own video i put out uh, i i got sent a screener of black widow as you know um so i put out a non-spoilery review on my channel i guess i'll do the thing again uh, yeah. if you guys want to check it out but i will say there is a post-credit scene in black widow and you know I've, as we've talked about sometimes those scenes are very frivolous they're just kind of cute they're just kind of there i really really liked the post-credit scene in black widow so check that out that's coming out on friday uh for all you guys i'm sure after after i guess i guess next week's podcast we'll probably do a full uh spoilers review of black widow so mm-hmm. that'll be fun but uh definitely check it out it's, uh, it's a good time yep so i think uh, I, th- I believe we should move on now to mm-hmm. uh Fear Street Part 1, 1994. This is a Netflix movie. Um, they're making a series. It's a trilogy. They're going to come out each for three consecutive Fridays. So the most recent one came out a couple of days ago. So the first one, I should say. These are based on a book series by R.L. Stein, uh, which I said in my spoiler-free review, I didn't know until like two days ago that R.L. Stein was a dude. I always thought it was a woman. I don't know why I thought that, but I did. Uh, but anyway... So my understanding is before he did Goosebumps, he did a book series called Fear Street. I don't think at least this first, because I was looking up the titles in that and their sort of brief synopses. It doesn't look like this movie is directly based on any of them. I think it's just kind of based in that world. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if like, if he's credited just for the title alone or what. I, I could be wrong, but I think that some of the, the lore, like, you know how oh, this is already jumping well into it. So spoilers, but that there was multiple kind of slasher killers. Mm-hmm. I think that those were taken from elements of. Okay. So it's similar in a weird way to the Goosebumps movies where it wasn't based on one particular story. It was like, here's all the Goosebumps. Okay. Did you ever see that the Goosebump movie with all the Goosebumps? That's what it's I did, called. I, I didn't. I didn't see the Goosebump movie with all the Goosebumps. I did see the Are You Afraid of the Dark movie, which I actually quite liked. Without the go- colon, without any Goosebumps. Right, right. It, called, was, yeah. it was devoid of Goosebumps. <laughs> um, no, I haven't seen Goosebumps, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I saw the trailer for this fairly recently. I was like, okay, it's it's a horror movie on Netflix, and I mean, obviously, it's skewing a little bit younger, even though it's rated R and pretty fucking gory is it rated r i believe so oh there's a lot of swearing uh there's some sexuality there was oh there is okay i was gonna say i mean it was like i guess the swearing went over my head i just cussed so much that 
I don't even notice it. Like, I thought that this for the longest time, I thought it was a PG-13, except for one kill at the end. I was like, oh, that's fucking brutal. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you're right. It's rated R, I guess. Okay. Yep. So, and I said in the other review, like, I'm not, I'm not sure who the demographic for this is because it feels like the storytelling skews younger, but then it's rated R and there's sexuality and that one really brutal kill. So I don't I know. And we'll get to that kill because I have I have a thought about it. But sorry, go ahead. Um, I was gonna say that yeah, I to me because you know R.L. Stein's Goosebumps series, Goosebumps with all the Goosebumps, is geared towards kind of like youngerish kids, maybe like middle schoolish. Okay. Uh, and this feels very much geared towards high schoolers, like a hundred percent high schoolers. And I think that if this was gonna be released in theaters, they would have made it PG thirteen to get that box right. office money, but it's on netflix so i think that they're like you know what it, you know back in the 80s and shit these movies which they're very heavily inspired from halloween friday the 13th a nightmare on elm street they were all rated r and those were all geared at teenagers right. because teenagers could still go out to see it so since it's on netflix and like you know it's a it's been an absolute joke from people that i know that are also parents it's an absolute joke to try and uh to monitor what what your kids watch or try to put parental controls on it so any teenager can just look at this so that's what it that's what it seemed geared to me for where it's like it seemed geared towards teenagers in the same vein of the 80s slashers that this is inspired by which i appreciated 80s and 90s slashers too like there's definitely some scream going on in here oh yeah dude the opening scene is exactly like well not exactly but it's very much like scream like did you notice how it even cl- like climaxed in the same way oh, yeah. where Drew Barrymore's character was being chased in slow motion in a mm-hmm. wide shot. And then he grabs him and stabs her. Same thing happened uh, to Maya. She kind of, she kind of falls to the side and he yeah. goes into the chest. Yeah, totally. Yeah. It and, was, and, yeah. and it was a dude in a skull mask, not a quite a ghost face mask and like mm-hmm. long black cloak. Yeah. Totally. Mm-hmm. And the person that they killed was, even though she's not a big star, she was easily the most recognizable name. Maya yeah. Hawk, Uma Thurman, and Ethan Hawke's daughter, who looks freakily, freakishly like her mother. It's it's crazy. And it's freakishly, it freakishly like her father. It, uh, it's, it's it depends on the face she makes. She makes one uh, face, you're Uma Thurman. She makes another face, you're Ethan Hawke. Wow. Um, yeah. yeah. We're jumping around. But what did you think about this movie? I actually didn't. I I've been doing this a habit of not watching your reviews for things that I know we're going to talk about okay. because I I want to hear what you have to say on here first and then i go back so what did you think about this movie i i liked it quite a bit Uh um i thought that i thought you had even though i didn't aside from my hawk i didn't know anybody in the cast i thought it was a good little ensemble um i thought it i thought it paid homage to the things that it was trying to pay homage to very very well i liked the production design i loved the soundtrack because I'm a '90s kid, and it was mm. you know, Soundgarden and Portishead and Cypress Hill and Iron Maiden and like just it was so good. I didn't find it scary in the slightest. Um, I thought it was a little bit long, uh, particularly towards the end. One thing that really frustrated me about it is I found it not only to be a little bit long but extremely repetitive. So yeah. like, they think they've solved it. Okay, we found her bones. And if we wrap them up and rebury them, it'll be okay. So they do that. And they're like, oh shit, we were wrong. So now we got to figure it out again. They're like, oh, this is what we got to do. So they do that. Oh shit, we were wrong. So now we got to figure out what to do. So we got to do that. Like there was a lot of that at the end. Mm-hmm. 
uh, which kind of drove me crazy, but we'll get into specifics. What did you think about this movie? Yeah, I'm kind of mixed. Um, there's a lot about it that I liked. Uh, a lot that you kind of said as well, like the production design, I thought was really good. Like it, it had some great lighting, like some really beautiful colors. So yeah. like um, just the, the way that they, they lit scenes, it felt very kind of pulpy. Um, it felt appropriately like 90s and colorful, but it's still modern. Um, the soundtrack, I simultaneously, you know, I, I, on paper, I love the soundtrack. I thought that it kind of went into the Cruella issue of just being wall to wall music where it's like you, there was a couple times, especially like in the beginning, I forget which songs there are off the top of my head, but it was literally like, we'll play 10 seconds of this song and then 20 seconds of this song and then 20 seconds of this song right. back to back. I'm like, okay, stop. Like this isn't, it's not building to a scene. It's not adding anything. It's literally just noise at this point. Yeah. I remember um, there was, there was one scene where, I think they're all in the school bus. Yes, yeah. They're, they're heading somewhere and they're playing like Cypress Hill, which is cool. And then it cuts to another character on the bus, but they've got their headphones on. So now it's playing Creep by Radiohead. Yeah. And I was like, just give me a little bit more of one of them. Yeah. But still every needle drop was like, that's a banger. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. They, I mean, it definitely made me want to fucking like, as soon as it was done, I was like, I got to go look like go through a Spotify nineties playlist. Cause mm-hmm. this is awesome. Um, I, I'm also 90s kid. I was I I was pretty young during the 90s, but I, but I was still uh, aware enough to be you know you know what I mean. Like I don't I don't know explain it. I wasn't born in the 80s. I was born like early 90s. But yeah, I still have a lot of nostalgia for that time, so I appreciated that. The cast was really good, except this kid. I don't think I like this kid. This is the second time we saw him in a Netflix show uh, movie. His name is Fred Hetchinger. And he played the uh, the annoying surprise killer in the girl in the window that had the monologue. That was him. That was him. Wow! I, I was, knew he. I knew he looked familiar. I was like, this guy is annoying. Why did? Why is he annoying? Oh yeah, he's from that crappy Amy Adams movie. Um, I'm not a big fan of him. I wasn't a big fan of his character. Uh, but everyone else, actually, you know what? I thought the acting was good. I thought that the main character they made kind of unlikable in some points. Like there were there were moments of that, yeah. There was a point where early on, uh, and I'm not going to go beat by beat, but she's having a fight with uh, which was I thought was a good reveal that she's actually um, a lesbian because like you see her in the beginning, she's writing an angry note like "fuck you, Sam," and you think, oh, it's going to be an ex-boyfriend, and then you see her kind of eyeing a couple, and there's a guy and he's making out with this girl. And it's made, it's shot in a way for you to think like, oh, that that's him. That's Sam. Oh, classic Sam. I classic hate him. Sam. But then it's revealed that Sam is a girl. Um, and no, I that, really liked- that was a re- the, the way it played out was really, really nice. Yeah, it was a good reveal. And I yeah. like that that they had a, a, a gay couple as like the main characters. I thought that was really good and refreshing. Um, what that scene, though, bothered me because our main character, who's what's her name? Uh, Dina, um, yeah. I think, yeah, she just launches, and I get that she's a teenager, and teenagers have angst, and you know they can make mistakes, but I felt like we were supposed to be on her side. But she's like, "Fuck you, Sam. We were together." And Sam's like, "Well, you broke up with me." Yeah, well, you moved away, and Sam's yeah. like, thirty minutes away." But that was... I was like, "Oh my god, Dina, calm the fuck down." Uh, I mean, they they do kind of set up that it's like almost like a. Capulets and Montague, you know, it's a better example. Like, 
uh, the socias and the greasers from the outsiders. Like they're from opposite parts of town. And the one part of town is like very affluent and the other part of town is like sort of very hick and whatever. But like, that's not enough. Dude, she, moved my, a, she moved a bus right away and you're going to break up with her for that? Man, I my first girlfriend in high school lived 45 minutes away without traffic. And that was before, you know, smartphones and my internet was still shitty. Like, dude, that's nothing. Like, <laughs> you're old enough seemingly to own a car, drive there. You all have smartphones. Just fucking text her. I thought that was that made her seem really unlikable. She became more likable as as it went on, but that was a I was like, I don't know if who we're supposed to be rooting for because I'm kind of rooting for Sam in this I, instance. I live in Toronto. I had a girlfriend who lived in Michigan. We made it work for a year. So whatever. Yeah. So come on, Dina. Anyway, um, yeah, without like jumping around too much. I can I get into my biggest complaint with the movie? Please. It's it's the editing by <laughs> and large. I thought the editing was awful. This felt like a movie that was over two hours long that they had to trim to make it an hour and 45 minutes. Uh, and Which the way still it still felt long. It still felt long. I agree. I don't think that the script should have been that long in the first place, but their way of doing it didn't seem to be cutting out scenes whole cloth. It was chopping up every fucking scene. Every moment was just like, mm -mm. it was like, and then, and then, and then, and then, and it never stopped. And I know I'm seeming like I'm on coke right now. I'm getting intense, but that's how the movie felt. Everything just felt like it was turned up to 11. There were no scenes. You know, remember scenes where where like a character walk into a room, they sit down. There's not really music blaring, and they kind of have a conversation, and it takes its time. It's none of that shit. It's all just like, oh, okay, we're doing this, and it's intercut with other characters doing stuff. So oh, there's always something happening. There's always music playing. And it's like in that halfway point between that where a scene is and a full-on montage. It was right, right there where it's like it's not quite a full scene, but it's not quite a montage. It's just never ending. And I it was just kind of it was just kind of like a series of moments without like yeah. context or uh, the ability to breathe. Yeah, yeah. And so that really bothered me because no matter how much I liked the production design, the cinematography, and I liked the acting, and I actually quite liked the mythology uh, mm. that the that the film posits. Um, but I just, I kept feeling detached because it never breathed. It never had a moment to slow down. Even when there were moments, there was a moment like kind of towards the end where they're at a house and Dina does the thing like normal scenes do where she literally walks into a kitchen and sits down to talk to Sam. But again, there was nonstop music, pl music playing before that. It doesn't stop into the scene and that entire dialogue is intercut with an ex exposition scene of the kid, you know, her little her little brother, giving the two other characters at like the lowdown of what's going on with the mythology. So that's all happening at once. And I'm like, what am I supposed to fucking feel right now? Am I supposed to have emotions for Sam and Dina? Am I supposed to be like surprised by this? Exp like, what is the tone? Um, and I felt that problem throughout. I mean, from the beginning to the end, I thought that was the biggest problem. Right. Uh, well, I should also point out there, there is, turns out there was somebody else in the cast that I, so the guy who kills Maya Hawk at the beginning and then remains the, the skull faced slasher throughout the film. Uh -huh. I did, I did recognize his face right away. I couldn't place it. I had to look it up. Did you watch the boys? I can't remember. Yeah. yeah. So in season two, do you remember the guy? I think his name is Gecko. He's the guy who makes money on the side by letting people chop off his limbs because he can grow them back. Oh yeah, yeah. That was him. Yeah. I forget the guy's oh. name, but 
I knew I, knew I recognized him. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so, so, I mean, I liked, I liked the lore of this movie, as you were saying. There was, you know, hundreds of years ago in this town, there was a, a witch who was murdered, and now she's sort of uh, still trying to, to um, terrorize, get revenge, whatever. And so she's essentially caused a string of murders over the decades in this town, and she can sort of possess these people who got killed and bring them back as murderers. And mm-hmm. so it, it ends up being, we end up finding out that uh, the, the one character, Dina's girlfriend, Sam, she ends up uh, like vomiting blood or something. And that gets on the bones of this, this witch who was killed. So now all these slashers are just trying to, trying to get Sam. Cause she's got like the blood or something along those lines. And so they, of course, they try all these different things to try and solve the problem, like I said earlier, and nothing works. Mm. And at the end, they find out that because this had happened to another woman years before and she survived, but the way she survived was by dying. So she died briefly and they resuscitated her, but then she was free to live her life. So they decide they basically have to kill Sam. Mm -hmm. And I, I thought that whole concept was really cool. I loved that. It took me back to like Flatliners, the original, mm. not the remake, which was shot in Toronto, but that doesn't make it okay. Um, I thought that was cool. And, you know, they have her trying to swallow all these pills, but then she's like throwing up. So Dina, and they've sort of reconciliated at this point, And Dina has to like force her head into like a lobster tank uh, so she can get eaten by a lobster. Just kidding. So she can drown. It's I really like painful. It just like, pu- like pulls at her eyeball. <laughs> Grab um, <laughs> but I really liked that scene. I thought that was pretty powerful. Meanwhile, all of the other characters are fighting off the other slashers, which brings us to a couple of pretty great kills. Um, the guy you were talking about, Fred Hetchinger, I think he's the one who takes the, the axe to the head, Yeah, which I enjoyed. Um, but the other character, I think her name was Kate. Mm-hmm. She gets her head through a bread slicer. Mm-hmm. And it was so deliciously gory. Yeah. I scrubbed back and watched it again. Yeah, that was easily the best kill. Oh, far it. and away. And and that uh, that actress is named Julia Rewald. And okay. I messaged you. Um, she's this uh, this actress is the sister of some somebody that I went to high school with. Right. So I actually like know them to an extent. Like obviously, I haven't talked to him in, in forever. Her brother is kind of blown up on TikTok. I'm not really on TikTok, but he's doing some good stuff um but it was just interesting because i i saw him messaging i kind of was kind of messaging him about it i'm like dude your sister's like good for her because this is like the first kind of feature that she's done um and i thought she was really good especially for like for this like her first feature and i i don't know if he the brother was aware of like the care the fate of his sister in it but i i just couldn't help but thinking about him and his family his sweet little family watching it. And then their daughter did, gets the most brutal fucking death in a horror film that I've seen in a while. I thought it was yeah, awesome. It was great. Now I take, I take one issue and maybe I don't know Uh-oh. what I'm talking about. Okay. Let's maybe see. I don't know what I'm talking about. I had, I had someone comment on YouTube, like the head through the deli slicer was great. And I was like, it was, but it wasn't a deli slicer. It was a bread slicer. And I don't know. I've never used a bread slicer, but they're made for bread and bread is generally not that hard. Like, I don't know realistically i don't know if they would be powerful enough without some really major torque to 
cut through a skull. That said, as I commented back to that guy, I was like, gave it a pass because it was just so freaking awesome. I didn't care. But it did, in that moment, I was like, I don't know if I buy this. Yeah. But no, again, I, I, I understand. Um, yeah, I'm not a got, baker. What do I know? They got the, the extra extra strength uh, bread slicer just because right. the other ones kept breaking down. So they needed industrial strength to, to cut their freaking like concrete bread blocks. No, that's a good point. It probably would not sustain a human skull, but it was fucking rad. So mm-hmm. I appreciated that. I, I liked the mythology that it wasn't just kind of like a, a, you can go kind of one of two ways with a slasher. It's like, is the killer just a, a regular person or is there something supernatural about it? And we've seen all sorts of things like demons or whatever, zombies and such. Um, but I, I liked, I haven't quite seen this premise necessarily where it's like the, the vengeful spirit of a, of a witch that was essentially probably, I'm assuming, burned or killed in the 1600s. And she's possessing multiple people over years to become slashers. So we don't get just one iconic slasher. We get a bunch of them. I mean, like one of them, the ghost, sorry, the the skull face is very scream-like. Then there's a guy with the bag on his head and the ax. It's very uh, Friday the 13th because that's what Jason Voorhees wore a bag in the second uh, Friday film before he had the hockey mask. Um, There was a woman killer i don't know if that was referencing anything in particular but i like that i like that it was like cool we don't get just one slasher we get a bunch of slashers and yeah. i thought that was pretty neat i thought that though i was a little confused a little bit by the mythology because in the beginning maya hawk was killed and a bunch of other people were killed but the rest of the movie makes it seem like these these serial killers these slashers they're only going after Sam because Sam vomited blood on the grave of the witch, but they right. didn't care. They didn't care about any of the other characters. Only if they had some of Sam's blood on it where they kind of tricked and be like, oh, I got to kill you. So like, what, what is it then? What, what happened in the beginning? What did Maya, did Maya Hawk do something? And if she did, why did seven other people die? I was, I, I, I thought of that too. And, and I was kind of thinking like, well, maybe it's like, and if this is the case they 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 could have made it clearer whatever the case is they could have made it clearer but i was thinking that maybe their purpose is just to kill people but when somebody has the blood on them like that's priority number one i don't know because you got to have priorities right um yeah i don't know that was that was unclear yeah it was it was kind of unclear i didn't i didn't understand that aspect of the mythology um but yeah i don't have too much more to say Honestly, just because like it's without kind of going beat to beat. Like I said, I like the characters. I was kind of sad that they die, but I also appreciated that they had the balls to kill some main characters in the right. first film. It lo- it's looking like the other two are going to be semi-anthology-like. Uh, like there was kind of a preview for the next one, which is set in 1978 at a summer camp. And it's feeling, you know, very much like a straight up homage to Friday the 13th, which I'm all for. Those movies are, are not great the all the friday the 13th movies but they're a lot of fun i have a lot of nostalgia for them so i'm on board for the next one even though i didn't quite love this one Um, well and 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 the second one and i had forgot because i had seen a trailer for like the whole trilogy a couple months ago but i totally forgot that the second episode has sadie sink also from stranger things 
who came in in the second season as Max. And I love her on that show. I think she's fantastic. So one, yes, I'm, ex- I'm excited. But for those who are just listening, I was making a grimacing face. The reason why is because, yeah, I, I like that actress from Stranger Things, but I still, I, it's one of those weird things where like, I, you see him as a kid actor first like she was maybe like 15 or 16 in that show. And in Stranger Things, she still looks like like a young 15 year old. And you're like, oh, she's just a kid. She's just a little kid. And she's, the actress is probably, I'm assuming she has to be like 18 at this point. But the preview for 1978 made it seem like, you know, she's going to follow the, the slasher trope of like maybe getting nude or having sex scenes. And that's always weird to me. It's yeah. like, eh, I don't know. You're like, you were like 15 the other day. I know that in real life you're like 18, but it's it's just weird. Um, I even, don't know. Even did you did you watch Game of Thrones? Yes, with with Macy Williams. Yeah, yeah. and they didn't even really show anything, but it was still just like uh, I don't like this. Yeah, this and she was older. She was like in her 20s by the time the show ended, but she still looked young. And when we first saw her, she was like 11 in that show, and, and she was like just like a tiny little chipmunk. Yeah, and I understand she's a grown woman, so I'm not saying this for against Macy Williams, but it's like I guess it's weird as an audience member to like disassociate. You're like, no, I was looking at you like either like a fatherly, like in a fatherly way or like like a big brother kind of way. It was like you're young Arya, you're so cute, and then it's like I don't I don't like this weird sex scene. No. Yeah, yeah, it was very strange. Um, okay, so we should uh, we should move on. Uh, we're going to talk about the Tomorrow War. So the Tomorrow War is uh it's now streaming on amazon prime video i believe it was originally made by paramount uh and they mm-hmm. due to the pandemic of course they just uh, dropped it on amazon yeah uh the movie stars chris pratt we have betty gilpin in there we have yvonne strahovski and we also have uh oh what's her name now marilyn racecomb from 24 and from mr show if you've ever watched mr show she's great on that she's got a very small role but excuse me the basic premise of this movie is and i'm gonna get to a problem i had with it right away chris pratt is a scientist slash science teacher which i'm sorry i didn't buy that i didn't buy that at all it wasn't as hard as me buying marky mark as a scientist in the happening but still it was it was problematic for me yeah but he's a scientist slash high school science teacher ex-military everything is fine they're living out their day he's supposed to get a promotion he doesn't get the promotion whatever and it's Christmas time or a birthday. They're having a party. They're watching a football game. And then there's this big sci-fi explosion. And people from the future come back and basically say, like, in 50 years time, Earth gets attacked by aliens and we are losing the war. We are going to get wiped out. We need all you guys to get drafted and come to the future and fight the aliens. That's your basic setup premise. Chris, I think I have an idea already, but uh, in fact, I think I got it uh, pretty clearly from when you sent me that voice message of, is this movie fucking two hours and 20 minutes long? But why don't you give me your uh, overall thoughts on this movie before we get into the plot? I will say this. I was was not looking forward to this movie. I, from the trailers, I didn't think it looked awful. It just looked bland and uninteresting. Yeah, generic and uninteresting. It looked like Independence Day meets Aliens meets Starship Troopers meets Edge of Tomorrow. Uh, it looked like it's a million things that I've seen before. And meets the day after tomorrow, but we'll get to that. Ooh, um, and what was I going to say? Oh, uh, when, yeah, so when I was going into it, 
uh, to watch it yesterday for this podcast, I was like, please be under two hours. I was really hoping it'd be like an hour 50 or something. And so I saw it was like in two, two hours and 20 minutes, like, oh my God. And I'll say this, I, I liked more of it than I thought I would. Um, I still have some major problems with it. And overall, I do think it's kind of a forgettable, generic, whatever. So overall, I'd say skip it, but I didn't hate it, which is, I guess, high praise in a way. It's, okay. it's praise that I'll give it. There were things that I liked about it, and I'm sure we'll get into it. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to start with this, uh, as you asked me about it. One of the things that I really didn't like about this movie was Chris Pratt. And I really like Chris Pratt. I'm a fan of Chris Pratt. But first off, he's he's got a swagger and, and a sense of humor that's often what gets me through. Particularly, like, I like the Guardians movies. I don't like the Jurassic World movies, but I like him in them <clears throat> because he's kind of a smart ass. He's got really good comic timing. Mm-hmm. And you get a Chris Pratt, and that's what he's good at. Yeah, he can do action. He's big and good looking and whatever but then you don't let him do any of that. He doesn't do any of that in this movie. He's, he's earnest to, to a fault. Uh Um, Like I want to see him cracking wise. And I I have to say my favorite character in that movie was the buddy that he meets early on. I think his name was Charlie. That guy was hilarious. That guy was killing me. I loved that. I I hard. I disagree. I I, I was, I was going to say, I think that character and his sense of humor is one that's going to be really divisive. I thought he was the most annoying character I've seen in a long time. Okay. I Not a word of what he said was funny. Uh, I thought I was like every single time. I'm not, I'm kind of blaming the actor because I, I think that they just let him riff for everything. I was just like, shut up, dude. You're not funny. But no, I guess he, it, worked, it worked for you. Yeah, he totally worked for me. Um, yeah, Chris Pratt, I mean, he's also, and I mean, I get it. You've just teleported to the future and you're about to fight aliens that you don't know what they look like or blah, blah, blah. But he looked confused through like 95% of the movie. Like 90, 95% of the movie is kind of going like, look at these yeah. like faces. And it just, I don't know. I just, I couldn't take him seriously. He didn't make me laugh. I thought his character was just cheesy. Then the movie ends with like a random narration from him that wasn't there for the rest of the movie. No. That, was like, that came that? out of that came out of nowhere. Yeah, absolutely. I thought that was completely out of nowhere too. Um, I, I feel like that that might have been. I actually think I think I've read that they did some reshoots. I feel like the entire final set piece was probably a reshoot, and I feel like that narration was probably something added in post. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, just for the rest of the cast. One person, you know, what, I'm going to bring up her name because I don't remember it off the top of my head. Is it his daughter? Yeah, it's Ryan something. Are you uh, about the older daughter or a younger version of the daughter? The younger. Oh. Uh, Ryan, yeah, we are. Ryan Kira Armstrong. That's it. I thought, and she was, I'm, I'm guessing she must have been about 10 years old when they filmed this movie. I thought she actually stood out to me. I thought she was really good, particularly in the scene where she's out back and she's digging for vaccines or whatever it was. And he comes out and basically tells her he's been drafted and he has to go to the future and fight this war. And for a 10 year old kid, like you just see this shadow cross her face as she's sort of processing like the implications of all of that. I thought the kid crushed it in that scene. I really, really did. Did that stand out to you in any way or? 
not really to be honest no? okay. she she was fine she she seemed natural like the the biggest thing i'll i'll kind of give is that for her is that she didn't she seemed natural as a kid okay. and there's a lot of kid actors that that um you know really stand out like oh this is rough you're clearly just reading lines and that's awkward so she seemed like a real kid but that was that, that's kind of all i got from her she just seemed like a kid and she wasn't in it that much so it didn't really stand out to me I actually liked her performance better than Chris Pratt's. Oh my God. Uh, now, uh, another thing, um, there are a couple other people I want to talk about, but one thing, because we reviewed the trailer on the show a couple weeks ago or three weeks ago or whatever it was. Uh-huh. And we were both saying that we both really liked Betty Gilpin. Mm-hmm. And we were hoping that she wouldn't be relegated just to a fretting wife character. And, and I think we were both saying like, you know, like people like Betty Gilpin and Mm-hmm. I, I know you didn't like the hunt that much. I quite liked it, but we both agreed that she was fucking awesome in it. Yeah, she's great. She's great in that. And I kind of felt like, no, nah, I feel like by the third act, like she's gonna come in clutch in some way. Nope, nope. Straight up the fretting wife character. Very little screen time. Complete waste to Betty Gilpin. Yeah. I found that really frustrating. How did you feel about it? Yeah, you know, because that's a bummer. She's a great actress, and she is. She has a lot of range. She's versatile, especially we've seen Glow, and she's proven herself to be kind of a, a capable action star as well like she you know maybe didn't do all of her own stunts but she has a pretty you know uh knockdown drag out fight with hillary swank at the end of the hunt so i think that she's convincing as an action star and the film teed it up for her to join chris pratt on an adventure you know where essentially most of the movie takes place in the future and then they come back to the present day which is 2022 at this time and he goes off on, a, on an adventure. And I know that someone's got to look after the kid, but like they could have taken her along. Uh, anyway, but yeah, it was, it was a bummer. They, they, she really didn't do much in this. Uh, I thought it was kind of wasted potential for her. And, and why get an actress of that caliber to play a character like this? Like yeah, there's, it, there's so yeah. little there. Yeah, she, I mean, th- credit to her though, she, again, very believable. Like you know, uh, we've seen roles like this before where there's, unfortunately there are still actors that that dropped the ball even with with this like that small role but she felt very believable um yeah she was she was yeah. good I, yeah it's certainly not saying she wasn't it's just yeah it just seemed like a waste of talent i agree yeah it definitely was uh, for um, me I, go ahead oh i was just i was just gonna say that um well i didn't quite like i didn't like hate chris pratt in this um i thought that i agree that he was the character was just way way too earnest um but I liked him. He was likable, but I don't know. I don't think I, unfortunately, I don't think that Chris Pratt still has, has got a handle on, on dr- drama. Um, right. There was, there's plenty of moments where it really required dr- like, you know, for them to pull out the, the dramatic punches and him getting emotional and serious. And I just didn't really buy it. Like I just kept, I, I felt, it felt like watching it. It felt like you could see him, trying with his face to emote i don't know how to explain it but it just like feels like you're acting there and i don't think that he's he's a bad actor i i think that it's maybe drama is just something that he still needs to kind of to kind of work on yeah i just i don't think this was the right role for him yeah Mm -hmm. unfortunately but uh a couple other people we should mention of course we have jk simmons in the movie who's just like he's everywhere now dude and built like a fucking brick shit house the dude oh yeah before and he is he's more built than chris pratt is in this yeah. movie yeah he Dude. was just ripped yeah doesn't have a lot of screen time 
and they do the sort of requisite estranged father son thing but then at the end of the movie they got to come together because of yeah. an action scene and now everything's good and that was super super chess but any moment jk simmons is on screen i'm happy because i just love that guy yeah and he's great i mean they it's uh yeah like i said it's a small it's a small role it's a role that we've seen dozens of times before but jk simmons brings such an authenticity to it and he's mm -hmm. so charming and likable that yeah he was probably my favorite character and every time he was on screen i really enjoyed it two things about about jk simmons one is i'll give um there was one joke that that guy what's that his friend charlie what's his name sam richardson right there's one joke that he made that did make me laugh out loud he called uh jk simmons conspiracy santa yeah which, that was funny which i thought was hilarious um but then one of the things speaking of reshoots that it felt like a reshoot to me was that at the end there was a moment where the alien was charging and it was in uh jk simmons looked like he was going to sacrifice himself but then out of nowhere i don't know i'm jumping all over the place so i apologize but out of nowhere chris pratt jumps on the alien and looks awful like it's really bad green screen of him yeah. punching the alien yeah. and then he saves the day and it's really bad green screen of him and jk simmons talking and i'm like i think that's a reshoot like i think in the original cut jk simmons sacrificed himself but then people were like hey everyone loves jk simmons right so don't kill him have chris pratt punch a giant alien yeah i, I you know, I was I was pretty sure he was going to die in that scene, and I was okay with that. That would have been a good yeah. ending for the character. And then Chris Pratt jumps in, and I was just like, what? The one thing, and it was so dumb, but they did pay it off. To their credit, they paid it off, at least for me. Um, Chris Pratt's, this is the big final monster, and we'll, we'll, we'll circle back around to the rest of the plot soon. Yeah. But it's the big final monster. It's the big female, like the queen alien from Aliens, whatever. And Chris Pratt's trying to kill it and throw it over a cliff. And he's just kicking it and punching it, whatever. And he's going, die, die. And I was like, really? Really? He's going to be shouting die. But then the thing dies and he falls on the ground next to uh, J.K. Simmons. And they're, you know, their heads are next to each other, but their bodies pointed the opposite way, like yeah. every romantic comedy movie poster ever. Mm -hmm. And J.K. Simmons, in his incredibly dry delivery, he just goes like, did you just tell the alien to die? Chris Pratt's like, yeah. And he's like, well, it worked. Shouldn't you have said it earlier? That made me laugh. Cause I was like, okay, yeah. you had that really, really bad line. Uh -huh. but you did pay it off. So mm -hmm. I'm okay with that. Yeah. There was another time where it's, it's, it was similar where they like, it goes to the edge of like, this is, this is really awfully written, but then it makes me laugh. Like Chris Pratt did actually make me laugh at an earlier moment with JK Simmons where, um, I forget the setup for it, but J.K. Simmons says something like, I want, was it Sinead O'Connor to come in and this, this, and that. Like um, he, he did like this really long, you know, spiel that, that made no sense. And I, after he said it, I was like, what? And then to the movie's credit, Chris Pratt was like, what? Like, so I appreciated that they could have at some moments, they could have um, really out there lines, really kind of broad comedy, but a self-awareness to be like, right that's kind of dumb um yeah now the one the one the one other person in the movie that i really want to talk about is yvonne strahovski who of course is wonderful on the handmaid's tale uh so she, what we find out is chris pratt's character uh i think his name is dan he goes to the future to fight aliens 
he meets Ivan Strahovski, who he's been on comms with, walks him through like this sort of mission, whatever. And then we find out she's his daughter all grown up. And I thought they did some interesting things with the two characters. I thought she was the highlight of the movie. I thought she was wonderful in it. There's that scene where they're sort of standing on the beach and she's telling him the whole story about how he left and the parents got uh, divorced and, and she just she just like starts losing it. And I thought her performance in that sequence was wonderful. And you're smirking. So I'm thinking you didn't feel the same way. Oh, she's, she's, not, she's not bad. I don't blame her. That scene though, just kept going. And oh, yeah. oh, yeah. I say that my wife's, my wife's an actress as well, um, mostly on stage. But we often find, we do this thing a lot of times in movies where she'll turn to me and say, that was the audition monologue where it's like this big, it's all all eyes on you. You got to really bring it. And so I, I thought she was good. And I saw, and I liked her character throughout. She had a kind of a, a stoicness, but also she still felt human. Like it, she didn't just kind of, she wasn't just like stoic action lady. Like she still felt like a person. And at first that scene was like, oh, okay, cool. She's really bringing the tears. But I thought the scene itself and no fault to her own just kept going because he was like, and then you were on the table and then you died. And then I was sad. And then and I'm like, okay, we get like, I was seriously like looking around anywhere but my TV screen because I was like, okay, I'm, I get what this scene is about and I'm done. Um, but yeah, she was good. She was, she was solid in it. Um, and I'm, I was also glad that although Betty Gilpin wasn't given much to do, I'm glad that the movie had this character uh, one for the father daughter dynamic, but two to have a female lead that's also capable. Uh, you know, she's a scientist as well. She's she's got the brains and the bronze because she's a badass. Um, yeah, so she's got I, some good fight scenes and yeah. So I like that. She, it, I like that it wasn't just stoic action man saving the day. Like we need a man to do this, right. and they had they had her along to to kind of be capable as well. Um, yeah. We got we to gotta keep moving on, but before we uh, get on to our final topic, I want to just address a couple more things. Um, what did you think of the look of the aliens, the sound of the aliens, and the sort of CGI? Yeah, I was, yeah, um, was going to like just quickly go like the few things that I liked, and the aliens is one of the big things. Um, first off, I actually really appreciated that, although this movie is too long, I really liked that it it took its time to lead up to the to the action. This movie is really not this nonstop action ride. No, it's and not. It, and it really took this the page out of the the James Cameron's Aliens uh, book in the sense that that movie takes nearly an hour before you see any xenomorphs. Yeah. Um, it's all set up it, because and that helps build the suspense. And the movie, this movie, did something similar where you know they it's all like it's a lot of exposition and character stuff. Um, but you, you really don't see the aliens and there's not really an action set piece until about 45 minutes to 50 minutes into the movie. Mm-hmm. And that level of restraint, I thought was really good because it really did help uh, sell the anticipation of these aliens. And, and I, 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 didn't, I, didn't feel, I didn't feel bored. I didn't feel like no. I was just clocking time until the aliens came in. No, no, no. And the, yeah, that's a, it's a major positive for me because it, I like when movies do that. I like when they, when they feel confident enough to not be like, shiny things, here's a, here, like dangling keys where it's like we have to have an action scene every five minutes. If you build up to it, then that first action scene is much more memorable. And I think that first action scene was probably my favorite because they built up to it. Right. And also the reveal of the aliens was great. Uh, yeah. I love I love the alien designs. There it feels 
similar to things we've seen, but also unique enough. And mm -hmm. the, the reveal was great because they were kind of in the stairwell and they were kind of pointing the guns with the flashlights up to this darkened area. And at first you see a tentacle and you're like, what is that? Is that its face? No. And then you pan over and then you see its face and it looks like, like a hairless rat, you know, it looks creepy. And it's like, it's like making this clicking noise and they're called mm -hmm. clickers. And yeah, I thought they were great. The alien designs were great. And what they did with them was really good where they're, these things are big. They're tall, they're long. They have these tentacles that, that whip. They also shoot spikes. They're vicious, they're fast. They're really intimidating. Mm -hmm. And it really sold this kind of, that feeling of like, oh yeah, humanity's screwed. Like if these really did crash land, they would be devastating because they're, they're, they're so deadly. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, I thought the alien designs were great in that the first action scene was actually really pretty thrilling. Um, like I said, going into it, I was, I was not expecting much at all. So the fact that I was actually kind of like a bit on edge during that scene, especially when they're first going down the stairwell and that thing is just, just like throwing people around the room. Well, that's, that's actually one thing that really stood out to me is like, you know, a lot of movies when they're fighting a monster and someone gets thrown, it looks like wire work. It doesn't look like you don't always feel the impact, but here when yeah. people were being thrown against the walls, like I felt that impact, like that was really yeah. impactful. Yeah. Um, yeah. CGI overall, it was a bit mixed. There were times when I thought it looked quite good, like towards the, what I thought was originally the climax but it was when they're at that kind of water base and it's mm -hmm. all kind of collapsing. I was just like, man, we've real CGI has really come a long way with uh, particle effects and smoke and fire. I'm like, cause this looks fantastic. And at times the aliens look quite good. Then other times it looks quite, it doesn't look quite great. It looks clearly kind of CGI. Like there's a point when they're kind of studying the alien in like a lab and that I was like, oh, that's clearly not there. That's just yeah. CGI. Um, what about you when it comes to the CGI? I, I thought, I, again, I love the design of the character. I love the sound or of the aliens. I love the sound design on the oh, aliens. Oh yeah, that was great. Particularly that first scene in the stairwell in the lab or whatever, because a lot of it is, and you and I kind of rail against um, shaky cam and quick cutting. They used it in that scene, I think, in a way to sort of mask the imperfections of the CGI because you, they're not on screen too long in one shot and they're always moving in this kind of like jittery way. I thought in that particular sequence, they looked really good. I thought it kind of same at the water base was pretty good. The whole final set piece, I thought looked pretty bad. Yeah. And that final set piece is the, the, the last major thing I want to talk about. So. Oh yeah. We haven't even got into that yet. Yeah. So basically in the future, um, Chris Pratt's working with Yvonne Strahovski. She comes up with basically like a serum that will kill all the aliens. And so he has to go back in time to make more of it so that when they show up, they'll be prepared. I don't remember. Um, and yeah, so, and so he goes back in time and they're working on it and whatever they're doing it. And then they, they make this discovery that, well, maybe they've been here the whole time because there was no crash landing site. They just appeared one day. And eventually they realize, well, maybe they're, this was another stupid thing. Okay. So early in the, right in the beginning of the movie, Chris Pratt's teaching uh, his science class. And he's like, is there anybody who wants to say that? And there's just like one kid. He's like, anybody other than Martin? 
I'm like, all right, Martin, what do you want to talk about? Volcanoes again? Because Martin's a volcano expert. And so they find there's something and it has to do with like ash that came from China from 1200 BC or something, but then it was in Russia. So they're like, they're like, well, if only, I think there was actually a lie that was like, well, if only we, we knew a volcano expert and he's like, I know a guy or something like that. I was like, oh, it's going to be fucking Martin. Yeah. And Martin's like super excited to discuss this and whatever. So they go to Russia and they find out there's like a ship filled with these aliens, but these aliens were the cargo. They weren't, it wasn't like the predators coming. It was the predators like bringing whatever. No, it was like, it was like the original alien where they land on the planet and they, they see, you know, from 1979, they go into a spaceship. Like, right. like this, they go to a spaceship and who's driving the ship are these space jockeys. Right. Those are not the xenomorphs. They've been infected by the xenomorphs. So right. there was a much more advanced alien race that's driving a ship that crash landed. And then there's these parasites in pods that come and they're super deadly. So that was like, oh, you guys aren't even trying to, to hide the alien influence. This is, right. exact- oh my God, but yeah. Well, and then so they, they go in and they're infecting all the things with the serum, but then a bunch of them escape. And it's this big action set piece. But also the subtext of this scene is that this never would have happened if it weren't for global warming, uh, you know, receding the ice caps and all of that. And listen, I'm a very, I'm a very environmentally conscious guy. Uh, yeah, let's get to work on the climate change thing. And this is this is where I said that the day after tomorrow kind of comes into play, because that movie was all about that too. But uh, it felt like a pretty surface level hackneyed message for this movie. Like, I feel like if you want to scare people into action, don't be like, well, if we don't take action about climate change now, giant aliens from a volcano under the ground, or just you know, we're all gonna die of fires in California, like we were talking about earlier or whatever. I I find it very odd that this movie thought it was the right one to send that message. Like it just, it just felt so out of place and so shoehorned in. How did you feel about that? Yeah, it felt, it felt strange. Like early on, I, I kind of pegged it because when they were talking, they kept talking about like 2050s, 30 years, 30 years from now. And then there was a lot of like, they would have like these TV channels of of kind of news pundits kind of talking about it it's like well why should we care that's 30 years from now and so from the beginning i was like okay so this is kind of like initially i was like oh so this is a thinly veiled metaphor for climate change and and like you i to me climate change should not be political it's it's a fucking fact i'm sorry like there's just too much empirical evidence that says it's a fact and it shouldn't be political. It should be like, everyone should be like, yeah, let's not destroy our planet. I don't know why it's controversial. Anyway, yeah. but at that point early on, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm fine with this. It's like I said, it's thinly veiled. I, I can see the message. I can see kind of making the illusions of like this tomorrow war where we have to fight for the future and the past, blah, blah, blah. That's fine. But then, yeah, it's, it's when they just, it's beating over beating you over the head with it would be an understatement in the sense yeah. that they're, they're literally just like, well, where, what happened? It's like, well, these crash landed in, in polar ice caps a thousand years ago. And then it just thawed out. So there they are. So it's like, this went from being like an allegory to just being like climate change. And it's like, okay, I, I messaged you. I'm like, 
the heart's in the right place. Like I agree with the message, but it's all about how you deliver the message. And yeah. if it did, it felt what this felt like because so much of the rest of the movie felt more like kind of like right wing in the sense of um, like, this is like military, military guys doing action things. So it seemed like a weird attempt at trying to bridge the gap right. of like, hey, right wing people who love military action guys, aliens, pow, pow, guns, climate change sucks am i right and it's it just yeah. seemed odd it just seemed kind of odd um so yeah to clarify anybody don't don't get mad i'm not saying i'm mad that a movie has a message about climate change because it is important and we're all fucked but um it did feel it did feel weird and it just kind of it, it's like uh, yeah it seemed like is this the movie we're doing it for the goofy alien killing movie right i i will say and this is what i said in the other review I had enough fun with three quarters of this movie uh-huh. that I would recommend it. I wouldn't say, and I don't think you have the option anyway, but I would say like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't spend 15 bucks to go see it in the theater, but if you already have Amazon prime, <clears throat> if you got an afternoon off and you want some fun alien killing carnage, this movie does deliver on that. Mm-hmm. So I would recommend it on that level. Uh, but also no rush. How about you? Yeah, I again, I like this more than I thought I would. There's enough in it, especially in the first half, like you said, maybe three fourths, that are that are entertaining. And there's good, there's surprisingly good action scene. I know I talked about the first one, but there's a, a second action sequence that happens kind of in these underground tunnels that I thought was again very claustrophobic, and I I, li- I liked it a lot. Um, there's enough likable characters. There's an attempt at humor, even though it didn't always work for me. Um, but at the same time, by the end of it, it does just kind of feel so generic that it's like, yeah, I mean, I can't necessarily recommend it over Aliens or Edge of Tomorrow, which oh, I thought- Oh, God, no. No, not Aliens, but even Edge of Tomorrow, which is a very similar kind of high concept sci-fi action film with mm-hmm. aliens and shit, also kind of about time travel. It's not as good as that. Um, but yeah, Edge, not, Edge of Tomorrow is pretty gnarly. I really like that. Movie. Yeah, it's not terrible, but if you- so it's not so if you are if you just like I like the subgenre I just want to see some action with some aliens and stuff I'd say it wouldn't hurt to check it out but if you watch the trailer and it didn't do anything for you I'd say you can skip it because yeah. it's pretty much the trailer yeah just two and a half hours long or two hours yeah. twenty minutes long yeah all right so finally we're gonna move on we're gonna have to keep this quick because uh, sorry can I yeah, do yeah. one one minute one minute. I'll be right back yeah. I'm sorry <laughs> uh, okay well I will uh, I will do this myself then. Uh, okay, so um, so we know that Amazon is producing this this Lord of the Rings series. Uh, of course, it is said to be the most expensive te- television series ever ever made. With I believe they they have a four hundred and fifty million dollar budget production budget, mind you, not including rights, not including marketing for the first season alone, and they're planning on doing like five seasons. So it's insane. Uh, granted jeff bezos has all of the money but uh so this story is coming out of the new zealand herald which is the biggest newspaper in new zealand or so so is my understanding um so a new report from the new zealand herald detail details at least three serious injuries on the mega budgeted show so what we have here is uh one of the um one of the stunt performers let me find it here 
Uh, the only stunt performer who went on the record with the Herald about safety concerns, though, was a man by the name of Thomas Kiwi, who actually worked on Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings films. And what it says here is he called it the show's handling of stunts as so unsafe, or I should say, quote, so unsafe, end quote, uh, noting that he left the series in March after suffering a rotator cuff injury in the aftermath of a backflip stunt. Uh, he says that his concerns about rigging for the show or rigging for the stunt were glossed over by the show's staff and that the industry standard practices, including a meeting with people who'd be rigging him up for wire work to talk over a stunt, were skipped. Uh, there should be more onto it, Kiwi said, because there's a lot of shit that's happening in the stunt department and a lot of unsafe stuff that's happened. I just left. Um, there were a couple other reports of other um other stunt performers uh that had been quote-unquote seriously injured during the shoot one being Alyssa cadwell who reportedly received a five hundred thousand dollar payment from amazon after suffering an onset injury uh they claim this was reportedly amazon claims uh or sorry no this this reads that the herald report takes pains to make it clear that this payment was reportedly to in part help Cadwell get back home and settled in Australia and was not an admission of guilt by Amazon. Additionally, Dana Grant, a veteran performer whose career stretches back to her days, uh, doubling for Lucy Liu, or Lucy Liu, Lucy Lawless on Xena. Uh, she suffered a concussion while filming the show. Uh, she will be having brain surgery to address an aneurysm. Jesus. But it does say it is important to note that she had worked on multiple projects after working on this show. So it's not clear if the link to her current uh, injury has to do with this show or something she did later. So that is the story out of the Lord of the Rings series. And I do think particularly for me, I mean, listen, I think everybody knows stunt work is very hard. Everyone knows stunt work is very dangerous. Of course, movies take pains to make it as safe as possible. They, you know, you have as much wire rigging and mats and, and, uh, body armor if necessary you rehearse it you rehearse it you rehearse it you do it slowly you do it faster but the fact is eventually sometimes you are doing these things very fast and and things can happen and chris i think um i think dark knight rises actually had uh, a stunt driver was killed on set or maybe it was dark knight it was one of the two uh this is a thing that happens but particularly, um, and Chris, you were you were gone when I was reading this part. Um, but uh, uh, the the stuntman uh, said that, and apologies to everyone who's hearing me say this again. But uh, he said that he sort of voiced his concerns about the rigging, um, and his concerns were glossed over by the show's staff. They skipped the industry standard practice of having a meeting with the people who'd be hooked, rigging him up for the wire work. Um, and then he got himself injured there. And for me, I think, sorry, there's one more po point that I have to read because Amazon put out a statement through um, a spokesperson that read, Amazon Studio takes the health, physical, and emotional welfare of our cast and crew extremely seriously. As a top priority, the production team continues to be in full compliance with the mandated work safe New Zealand safety and security government regulations, any allegation or report that activities on set are unsafe or outside of regulation are completely inaccurate. Um, before I go into, I guess, my thoughts, uh, Chris, do you want to give me your takeaway from that? 
Yeah, it's that's upsetting to hear because stunt work is very dangerous. Even with all of the precautions, there's a, a tremendous amount of risk that's involved. Um, one of the more recent examples that I can think of was for Deadpool 2. There was a stunt driver uh, motorcyclist uh, for Zazie Beetz's character that passed away during one of the stunts. That's right, and, I remember that. And the weird thing, the reports that were coming out were like, it wasn't even a dangerous stunt. It would just, it was one of those freak accidents where it was a relatively, as far as stunts go, it was like a relatively simple one of someone just kind of driving, riding down a flight of stairs outside. And that's like a, I don't know what, you know, how dangerous that is compared to other stunts, but they said it's like relatively simple, but just something happened and she just happened to hit her head and that was it. And so even in the best of scenarios, it can be dangerous. So keeping that in mind, if you're not up to, to truly in industry standards, and if you're not, and if Amazon's not conducting themselves in a way that, that truly does protect all the stunt people as much as possible, that's unacceptable. Seriously, like film, we're all excited about movies. We're all excited about big, these big franchises and these TV shows, but it is absolutely not worth it if people are being put in harm's way to make it. Um, well, and, and moreover, I mean, like Amazon, as I mentioned before you got back, Amazon invested just in the production budget of this season alone, like $450 million because Amazon has all the money I'm sorry, if you're putting that much money into it, put a couple more million dollars into making sure these people are as safe as can possibly be. And ignoring voiced concerns about rigging, not having these meetings with your stunt performers, that is unacceptable. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm definitely inclined to believe this, this guy's report uh, and other people coming in because I don't see any reason to, to lie about it. I don't see any reason to... to yeah, it just... I, I hope that these these issues are being addressed because the film the the production is still going to go forward. The, they're mm -hmm. still going to be shooting this TV show, and there's probably countless more stunts that are required. Uh, and if that's going to continue, then they need, really need to shape it up, and they really need to start doing doing what's necessary. You know, like what it, what what the I'm, the I think it's anonymous. Was it anonymous who sent it in the the stunt man? That kind of like raised oh, the concerns. No, uh, well, two two stunt two stunt women uh, didn't uh, didn't actually talk to the paper, but they're both they're both named um, uh, Alyssa Cadwell and Dana Grant. But the one person who did actually talk to these people uh, was a man by the name of Thomas Kiwi. Okay, yeah, I I'm inclined to believe them, um, and I like I said, I think that like you really need to just be in compliance and you need to make sure that these people are risking their lives for your fucking TV show, um, for your fucking product. And you do the, at least the guy, not the minimum, but you, um, I say, I was going to say minimum in the sense of like the minimum that's, that is required. And it doesn't sound like they're even doing that. And that's, right. that's unacceptable. Um, if more reports come out that, you know, more people are getting injured then I, I can imagine a, a major kind of, strike or boycott on this thing because uh, nobody's going to want to work on this thing if if people are just getting hurt left to right um so yeah i this is really upsetting to hear for a show that i'm looking forward to quite a bit and i hope that it does change well and, and to your point you know you were saying you, you trust these people that they're being honest and it seems like 
I mean, this guy, Thomas Kiwi, he worked on Jackson's Lord of the Rings. So he's been around for quite some time. Yeah. This oh, other yeah. woman, this other woman worked on, she was, she was uh Xena warrior princess stunt double. So she's been around for a long time yeah. doing stunts. And it, this article doesn't suggest they have a track record of calling people out. So yeah, I think it's perfectly reasonable to believe them. And then again, this might not be the entire um, statement from uh, Amazon, but it's but it's what I have here, and it, I think it's it's worth reading again. Amazon Studios takes the health, physical, and emotional welfare of our cast and crew extremely seriously. As a top priority, the production team continues to be in full compliance with the mandated WorkSafe New Zealand safety and security government regulations. Any allegation or report that activities on on set are unsafe or outside of regulation are completely inaccurate. Let me tell you what that reads like to me. We didn't do anything. Don't yeah. be mad at us. At no point does it say we wish these individuals a speedy recovery. Yeah. At no point does it say we will continue to try and work even harder. It just says, no, we're fine. And to end it with any allegations, blah, blah, blah are completely untrue. That's, that's just like, yeah. And that, that pisses me off. And that makes me even more inclined to believe that yeah, something something is not right here. What do you what do you take away from that? Yeah, absolutely. It sounds like a corporation that's trying to say everything. Um, it's it's spin. Yeah, it's just spin. Yeah, it's it's trying to trying to find legally in legal in legal jargon just say like we didn't do anything wrong, and it reads completely callous and it reads as completely kind of a devoid of humanity and it's just like well, you didn't do anything wrong and you're right they, it doesn't make any it doesn't make any reference essentially talking about what their um what their goal is or, or or like what their priorities are like we prioritize and making sure that it's a safe blah 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 which i've read other statements before yada yada in other for other movies and shows this literally is like uh we're doing what's required we're doing this and it's like, to me, again, that just reads as like, we're doing the bare fucking minimum. Right. So don't get mad at us. And it's like, it's clearly these people are getting hurt. These veterans, these stunt veterans are saying, this is not okay. And you're just like, well, we're doing what they, what's required. It's like, that's not enough. If, if I was doing the bare minimum of my job and they're like, hey, you're still falling behind, then you got to fucking step it up. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it just seems like Amazon's like the biggest corporation in the world. I have no sympathy for them. You know what I mean? Like I'm not gonna, whatever. I I hope they shape it up. They have enough fucking money to, if they have enough money to, to put the show in production, they could spend, I don't know, maybe $10 million more, if that, to ensure that things are more safe. Absolutely. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's, it's BS. All right. Well, everybody, that is the show for today. Um, as per usual, we want to encourage you to click like on the video, share it around. It helps the video get out to more people, helps the channel grow, helps the podcast grow. We appreciate that very much. Of course, we really want you to jump into the comments below and let us know what you thought about all these topics. Did you like the tomorrow war? How do you feel about, how do you feel about this, this stunt stuff on the set of Lord of the Rings? Uh, All of that. I do read all the comments. I respond to as many of them as I can. So don't think that your uh, thoughts are going unread. Um, Chris, where can people find you online? On my Instagram handle called Art of Light and Shadow. It's kind of a daily cinema blog about all the wacky fun movies that I'm watching, um, whether they're mainstream things, classics, kind of obscure little foreign films. It's a lot of fun. So Art of Light and Shadow on Instagram. 
And of course, Andres is not here again this week, but uh, you can always check out his YouTube channel. Just do a YouTube search for Cheap Thrills, Unspeakable Terror. He reviews horror movies, sci-fi, B-movies from the dawn of cinema to the modern era. I really like his uh, channel a lot. It's fun. It's to the point. Very entertaining and uh, introduced me to some movies that I never would have heard of before. Of course, you guys can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Courtshake. You're already on my channel. If you haven't subscribed yet, I hope you will. I'd appreciate it very much. Of course, we want to remind you that you can get this podcast audio versions only on Stitcher, Google Podcasts, a couple other places. We're still waiting on Apple Podcasts. I don't know what's happening there. Uh, and sorry, not Stitcher, Spotify, still waiting on Stitcher but you can do that. Go subscribe there, rate the podcast. That would be awesome. We'd appreciate it very much. And of course, we always like to end the show this way. You know, things are starting, it's, it's different in different parts of the world, but it does feel like things are starting to get a little bit more positive. Maybe we are in the sort of the, the, the home stretch here, but we want to say for now, we hope that you guys are all very safe, very healthy, um, and we wish you the best. Thank you guys very much again for watching, and we will see you guys next week. Take care, everybody. Take care, everyone. Bye. Past.